Well, I am really, really thankful that you are here this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. What a great morning. Man, it is uh, great to be part of Blue Water, and I am so thankful for each and every one of you. I have a question for you. Um, I'm, I'm looking for an answer, but I'm, I don't want you to like, like say out the answer, but I want you to kind of get this answer located right in your mind. If you're a, a, a sermon note-taking type of person, jot it down in your notes. Okay, here's the question. What for you is the key to the good life? What is the key to the good life? If we were to ask, and if we were to, um, to talk about what the good life is for you, what is the key to that? The interesting thing is that this is something that um, advertisers are always trying to answer, right? It's the question that advertisers are always trying to answer. They are trying to convince you that the key to the good life is for you to buy their product. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to, uh, you know, be accomplished or have a sense of purpose unless you use this particular brand of baking soda. I don't know, whatever the thing is, right? They're actually really, really good at it. So what is the key to the good life for you? Now, I think if I'm being honest about myself, my own vision of the good life, and if you were to ask me and if I was to have to write something down, I could probably come up with a really good theological answer to this, but if I'm being really brutally honest, the key, I think, that, that I have... Um, by osmosis sort of um, absorbed from the, the surrounding culture, the key to the good life for me is a life of comfort and ease. I think that that would be, if I'm most honest, I think that would be what I would have to say. A life of comfort, a life of ease. After all, this is what technology is all about, right? We try and leverage technology so that we can be comfortable. We try and leverage technology so that we can have a life of ease. But, well, and... and, and I don't want to step on toes too much, but don't we work for a set amount of years with the goal that after working a certain amount of years, we can then retire to a life of comfort and ease? I think this is what um, is extraordinary for us and why sometimes we have difficulty um, processing through what the Bible says, because um, the people in the Bible, they don't actually think for the most part that the good life is accessed through comfort and ease. In fact, if you go back to the early church, there's, there's this really remarkable thing where people in the early church actually thought that, that you know what was the key to the good life? Martyrdom. That's weird. This is going to be interesting for us as we dig into our passage this morning because we will avoid suffering and discomfort at all costs, don't we? When I have a headache, do you know what the first thing I do is when I get a headache? I reach for a bottle of ibuprofen. When I uh, feel like my, I, I've tweaked my back or tweaked my knee, do you know what the first thing I do is? I call my buddy Dave, who's a physiotherapist. If there's something going on with my body, the, the first thing I do is call the doctor. Doc, we got to figure this out. I can't live in this kind of discomfort. All right? We avoid suffering and discomfort at all costs. We are walking through the, our series in the book of Colossians, and today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. So if you have your copy of God's Word, it will be really important for you to take it out. Uh, if you have uh, an electronic device, you can go to bluewaterbaptist.ca. There's a, a button right on the homepage that says Sermon Notes, and you will have all the passages and everything that you uh, need right there. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24, and as you're turning there. Um, I'll give you a second to find it, but 
Notice what Paul says. Look at verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. What? For your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Well, it's interesting because Paul starts this out by saying that he rejoices in his sufferings for the sake of this church, which uh, he has never met. Remember, he's writing this letter to this people. He has never met them. Now, I need to tell you a story, um, and I'm, I am, uh, I'm taking my life in my hands by telling you this story. Can we, can, can we keep this just between us? Okay. Um, when, my, when our first child was born, it was a, a difficult birth. It was a very traumatic experience for me, let alone everyone else that was involved in this. It was just, it was a really hard birth. It was, uh, it was really difficult. I'd never seen my wife in that kind of pain, and I, I couldn't do anything. It was just a, a, not a very fun experience. So, uh, Two and a half, almost three years passed, and uh, the time came for our second child, Austin, to be born. And so we went to the hospital, and we were in the hospital, and um, one of the nurses came in and said, uh, this wasn't true for this hospital before, but now we can um, offer you uh, an epidural. And I thought, this is fantastic. And I I was shocked and stunned to hear my beautiful bride say, no, that's okay, I think I'm gonna do this naturally. And I said, Val, I don't think that's a good idea. Do you not remember what it was like last time? She said, I remember, I, I felt like I was gonna die. And I said, Val, here's the thing, you actually have hormones that prevent you from remembering what that was like, okay? I remember, it was not fun, please don't do this. She said, no, no, we're gonna do this. And listen, when you're not the one who's actually giving the birth, there's only so much you can say, so okay. So things progressed as things do, and we were sitting there, she was on the little bed thing, and I was sitting behind, beside her, and we were holding hands, and all of a sudden, she almost broke every bone in my hand. I was like, what is going on? I looked over, and there's my beautiful bride, and, and I, st I still remember she's grabbing hold like this, and her eyes were closed, and her nostrils were flared. It was her first real contraction um, of the delivery. And she said, I remember now. I want the epidural. <laughs> um, the, the whole reason that we tell the story is because why would someone have more than one child? <laughs> Given what you have to go through, to have this child, why would anyone do it twice, let alone more than that? Because there's something worthwhile at the end that makes the whole process worth it. There's something at the end that makes all the pain and suffering worth it. This is kind of what Paul is getting to. And he says this really interesting thing he says he rejoices in his sufferings 
but he fills up in his flesh what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. To which we might say, what? Is Paul actually saying that, that like Jesus hanging on the cross and when he died, what was that thing he said? He said, it is finished. So is Paul saying that even though Jesus said it's finished on the cross, that it wasn't really finished? Well, I don't think, well, I do think that we can say definitively that that's not what Paul is hinting at, especially if you look at what he has just said uh, in the book of Colossians. He's not saying that, that as far as Jesus' sufferings, that, there's, you know, that our atonement isn't complete or sufficient because Jesus didn't suffer enough. I think what he is saying is that if he has to suffer, if he has to go through pain, if he has to go through this difficult time in order for someone else to hear about Jesus and believe about it and believe in Jesus, then he's willing to do that. Which brings up a question. If you're a Christian, how much are you willing to suffer in order for someone else to hear about Jesus? Because the truth is that most of us are not willing to suffer much at all for someone else to hear about Jesus. Most of us are really not willing to go through even a mild amount of discomfort for someone else to hear about Jesus. Too many of us aren't even willing, because of a mild amount of discomfort, we're not even willing to, to push back against something that God hates or something which is harmful to human flourishing. We'll wear the pin or we'll fly the flag. Why? Well, I might offend somebody. We'll fly the flag. Why? Because, well, if I don't, I might lose my job. And we know that God is definitely not big or strong enough to, to provide for you or your family if, that, if you don't have that particular job. We know that. How much are you willing to suffer in order that someone else might hear about Jesus? It's a difficult question. We've got to keep moving. Let's look at verse 25. Actually, let's back up to the beginning so we can follow the thought. So uh, verse 24, he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Now, it's interesting that the translation that we're using renders that word minister. He became a minister of the church because the word in the original language is actually servant. So Paul's saying, I became a servant of the church uh, in order to, um, well, we'll talk about that in a second. And it makes me wonder how many of us view ourselves as a servant of the church versus how many of us, really, if you dig down deep enough, think the church is ultimately there to serve me. Makes me think of a guy that came to the church for a little while. Um, he just came very sporadically, and um, he was in some. Uh, he just he just kept making really bad decisions, and uh, we had a bunch of guys from the church that were helping him as much as we as much as we could, and like dozens and dozens and dozens of hours trying to help him out. He just kept making bad decisions. He called me one day. I hadn't seen him for a long time. <clears throat> he called me and he said. Um, <clears throat> he said, I need the, the church to help me out. I said, okay, well, what, what's going on? And um, I heard his story, and at the end of his story, he said, um, I need, I need $30,000 from the church. 
And um, things are a little different now than they were then. Um, like, you know, we didn't have anything like that amount of money that we could give anybody, even if we wanted to. And I had to explain to him that there's actually legalities and um, <clears throat> for us to, <clears throat> excuse me, for us to um, take a bunch of money like that and give it to, to someone who goes to the church is actually, the government calls that fraud. They actually don't look highly upon that. And uh, even if we could do that, we actually wouldn't because that's not what uh, people had given the money for. And he got mad at me. He got really mad at me. And he lectured me up one side and down the other. And at the end, he said, um, you know, what you need to do is you need to have a pot of about $50,000. You need to have that ready for when uh, someone from the church uh, wants it, that they can draw from that. I said, well, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. And he's never walked through the door of this church again. <laughs> There's other details that it's kind of a weird story. I could flesh it out if... Uh, we had time or whatever, but, um, and that is an extremely, it, it's an admit, admittedly extreme example. But the root of the question is actually a very simple one. Is the church here to serve me, or am I here to serve the church? You know, Blue Water is actually a pretty amazing place because we've been doing all this stuff, right? We just opened this new campus, and there's so many exciting things happening. And I have been able to watch. I have been able to see person after person um, say that, you know what? I'm a servant of the church. So we've had, <clears throat> we've had people take time off of their, their work, take vacation days in order to help us down there. We have had people, like, I am partially convinced that there are some people who don't actually go home. They just work and work, and then they find somewhere to sleep, because when I get back in the morning, they're still working, and they're pretty, it's pretty amazing. I, I am so thankful for everyone who, who, who has said to themselves, you know what? I am a servant of the church. The church is not here to serve me. Now, notice in verse 25 that the purpose um, uh, of Paul becoming a servant to the church is that um, he serves the church in order to make the word of God, what does it say? Tell me. Fully known. He does this in order to make the word of God fully known. He was willing to suffer so that people could hear about Jesus. He's willing to suffer to make God's word fully known. Now, what does that look like? Well, in order to, to fully know the word of God, there was a mystery that had been kept hidden for ages and generations that only in Christ was revealed. We can see that in verse 26 and 27. We got a motor here. The mystery kept hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is the mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery <clears throat> was that before Christ came, God only worked through one particular family. That was the Jewish people. He only worked one th primarily through one particular people group. And if you wanted to be a part of the people of God, you had to actually become Jewish. And for the, the Jewish mind at that time, there were Jewish people and there was everyone else. And they called everybody else Gentiles. Now, um, there is a particular people group in Sarnia that uh, there's, there's a little saying, and I won't say what the group is, but, but they say, if you're not this people group, you ain't much. Have you guys heard this? Um, that's how the Jewish people thought, okay? Um, except they actually believed it. 
And there was Jewish people and there was everyone else. And if you were part of the Gentiles, if you were part of everybody else, then, then you were significantly less. Well, what Paul is saying is that, no, it doesn't have to do with what people group you're a part of. What it has to do with is Christ in you. Have you believed in Jesus? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And listen, our hope is not in making this world a better place. Our hope is not in having a good job or accumulating power or being successful in a worldly sense. Our hope is not having a great family. Our hope is not reforming a broken political system or judicial system. All those things are fine, but that's not our hope. For a Christian, what is our hope? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if we haven't believed in Jesus, if we haven't turned in faith and and, and done exactly what Holly did, um, believing in Christ, then, then the hard truth is that Christ is not in us and we don't have that hope of glory. Can I ask you a difficult question? Where is your hope? Because we can easily put our hope in all kinds of things that are of less importance. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's look at verse 28. Him we proclaim, that's Jesus, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is, some of your translations are going to say, present everyone perfect in Christ. The idea is as, at, like, Paul is, is slogging, he's, he's suffering, he is working hard so that everyone can be fully mature in Jesus. And listen, I'm just going to synopsize everything that I was going to say in this. This is our goal as a church. This is my goal as a pastor. That we all would be presented perfect in Christ. And I really believe that one day I'm going to stand before the throne of God and I'm going to have to give an account of whether we were mature in Christ or not. In your family, your goal should be that everyone is presented perfect, fully mature in Christ. In your friend group, same thing. Okay, we've got to keep going. Look at verse 29. He says, for this I toil. That word is actually, uh, could be translated labor. Some of your translations will say labor. It's actually the same word that's used in childbirth. So like, like the painful labor that's involved in childbirth, right? For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Okay, he acknowledges that this is a bit of a grind, he, Paul acknowledges that, that, yeah, there's some stuff that I need to do. I need to work at this. I need to labor at this. I need to work so hard at this that it actually hurts. But I don't work at it with all of my energy. See, you see, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. The ditch on one side of the road is, is I work and I work and I work and I toil and I labor, but I figured out how I can do that in my energy. And that ends in burnout. The ditch on the other side of the road is that we don't work hard at all. Well, I'm just, remember, it's a life of ease. That's what we're after. I I don't need to work hard. So we either burn out or we rust out. Either way, we're out. The goal is to, yes, work hard, to, yes, to labor with all of his energy that works mightily in us. Okay, it's all about Jesus. So what can we expect? What we can expect from this life is that it's going to be hard for a little while. 
What we can expect from this life is there's going to be suffering involved. Did someone tell you that becoming a Christian meant that there would be no suffering? They lied. (laughs) It's going to be hard. There's going to be suffering involved. But then one day we're going to see Jesus and all will be well. And in that moment, every tear will be dried, every hurt will be healed, every wrong will be righted by him. That is what we are in for. Okay, um, there was a, a famous uh, preacher in the first great awakening by the name of John Wesley. As a matter of fact, um, if you've ever seen a, a Methodist church, has anyone ever seen a Methodist church? No? One? Okay, okay. So some of you are honest, some of you are asleep. That's okay. So um, every Methodist church is actually, um, Methodist church has started from this guy, John Wesley, okay? He was kind of an amazing guy because he spent most of his adult life on horseback. He was just, he would preach in a city about Jesus or, and then ride to the next town and preach about Jesus, ride to the next town and preach about Jesus. It's calculated, so someone did the math. They actually um, took his journals, his diaries, and they calculated how far he rode on horseback. In, in his adult life, he rode 250,000 miles on horseback telling people about Jesus. Do you know how far that is? That's 10 times the circumference of the globe. If you put him in a straight line, he went around the earth 10 times telling people about Jesus. One day, he was riding along, and and, um, in the First Great Awakening, they, they were actually, these guys were kicked out of the churches, so they couldn't go in a church like this and preach. They had to go outside and preach, like in fields and stuff, and and people would be throwing stuff at them and yelling things at them. And, and um, uh Wesley was riding along and he thought, it's been three days since I've had any persecution. It's been three days since someone's thrown something at me. It's been three days since someone yelled about what an idiot I am. And he thought, am I backsliding? Have I I sinned? Am I not walking in in the spirit? What is going on here? So he actually slipped off his horse right on the side of the road and he knelt to pray. What he didn't know was that there was a farmer, part of the Church of England, just a little ways away, and he was like, what's that guy doing? And he took a closer look. He was like, that's that Methodist guy. I hate that guy. So he, he kicked up a, a stone from the ground, and he whipped it at, at John uh, Wesley as hard as he could. He missed. It went sailing like past his head. Um, he heard the zing. He kind of looked up and looked over and, and uh, saw that this farmer was reaching for another rock, and he was like... I'm, I'm persecuted. All, everything's good again. So he hopped back on his horse and he rode away feeling great about things. Listen, none of us like suffering. We get it. None of us like suffering. But what the Christian church has always, always, always understood is that suffering for the gospel is a badge of honor. Is Christ in you your hope of glory? Who, what are you willing to walk through? What are you willing to suffer in order that someone else might hear about Jesus? Let's pray. God, thank you for your great love for us that we have seen in Christ. Thank you that we can know, we can be confident of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Thank you that you are our hope of glory. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, and this is easy for me to say, help us to walk through suffering um, 
and maybe embrace it instead of just out and out rejecting it immediately like I tend to do. I pray that you would help us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. It's to him alone that we give all glory, both now and forever. Amen. Thanks, friends. You're loved.